1: Okay, we are back for a, another episode of the Dungeon of Doom. Ben, how you doing back there in, in Michigan? <laughs>
2: you know what? It's all right.
1: No pool time, no sunny skies or palm trees for me, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> I, I can't I can't relate. I can't relate. <laughs> Still, I it's Thursday. We record this. I'm in Florida. You know, the, the owner's meetings down here. The, the meetings themselves were in Palm Beach about two miles from mar-a-lago which came to my attention yesterday <laughs> i'm actually down in boca raton because i'm a peasant and can't afford palm springs <laughs> but it's been it's been a good week ben a lot of sunshine you know hanging around It it's just like a bizarre scene like i don't know man you get 32 billionaires together <laughs> how to make money and throw themselves a swinky party like you can just imagine what the scene is like and it's kind of surreal as a peasant myself i just it's weird walking around the dollar a night hotel crazy security and you know the i I did some walking around it's like it was like nine dollars for a glass of orange juice 55 dollars Fifty five for a Caesar salad. I mean, it's just like that that's not expensive. That's just like expensive to be expensive. That's like it's like some classes stuff, you know, like we're trying to <laughs> out people that can't afford the fifty-five dollar salad, which is definitely definitely me.
2: Oh man. <laughs> but it was yeah. No, I just see those photos of the tables on the beach and it's like, wow, this just looks like every fancy wedding in every movie you've ever seen.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've seen the movie. Really beautiful. You know, I've had to eat the free food all week from the NFL, but a lot happening as well. Not just standing around in in shorts. You know, we talked to Brad Holmes. We talked to Rod Wood. We talked. Well, we didn't talk to Dan Campbell. He ended up getting sick, so he wasn't down here. But we talked to every coach in the AFC, every other coach in the NFC besides Dan Campbell. Sheila Fordham did a press conference. And then you throw all the news into a bit. I mean, a lot of things happened on the Lions front this week. Monday was a crazy Hmm. day. It's crazy. I I woke up on Tuesday morning. I felt like I'd been here a week because Monday was so long and so crazy between all of the interviews we got down here and the people that I'm talking to. And then there was actually some major news on the Lions front, right? With the They landed the draft in 2024, which is a huge deal. Uh, That's hundreds of thousands of people coming to downtown Detroit. It's a huge deal. And then also landing Hard Knocks, which again is a a big deal. It's an opportunity for the Lions to be, you know, they've been a a loser for a long time and last place for a long time now. So they haven't really had a lot of opportunities to be on primetime TV, on, on national TV. And of course, Hard Knocks will give them a chance to get onto national TV and to really I think, connects what they're doing with their fan base and the country, which sometimes is a disconnect there just because they're, you know, off on the periphery. So busy, busy week, Ben. We've got five of the biggest storylines from the week rounded up with audio from some of the people that I've talked to down here. So we can go through all of that and and break it down. I I guess we can probably start with the draft and hard knocks just because that's such a huge deal for fans and and with some of the biggest news from down here. Let's cut to the press conference that we had with Sheila Ford Amp and Rod Wood just talking a little bit about their reaction to to landing the draft.
0: Needless to say, this is is a great day for us. Um, It represents a lot of hard work on the part of the Lions and the part of the Detroit Sports Commission and the mayor. Um, It it really is terrifically exciting. I think it will be um, huge for our wonderful city to showcase itself and our fans and we are very very proud so um thank you again peter for your confidence in us and as i said in the room when i thank the ownership for voting for us that uh i promise we will uh put on a wonderful show 2024 is going to be a great draft
3: thanks just echo a couple things uh we've been working on this a long time as peter said we were patient through a pandemic we were a finalist for the 2022 draft and had to kind of keep the bid going. And uh, very pleased uh, that we were awarded the draft. Uh, also want to thank the Detroit Sports Organizing Committee, uh, the Convention and Visitor Bureau, uh, the Mayor's Office, the Governor's Office for all supporting us through this process. Uh, it'll be exciting to have the world look at Detroit. It's been a long time since we've hosted a big event like this, so it'll be great for the city and uh, looking forward to it. I think we can take a couple questions. Uh, or Bob or Sheila. Um,
1: now that it bids in Detroit, I know it's early in the process, but have you thought about kind
4: of
0: what it's going
1: to look like, uh, what buildings might be involved, where this could be, maybe just any
3: details about initial thoughts okay.
0: well, it? Well, either like. one. Yeah. <laughs> you can pick one, I'll pick
3: the next. Um, yeah, obviously that was a big part of the, the bid, Tim, so the weather permitting, the uh, draft will be outside in Campus Marshes. that'll be the draft stage. Uh, we'll be using a lot of the venues in downtown, including the Fox Theater uh, will be part of it. Hart Plaza will be part of it. Uh, hope they have some music events at Ford Field and maybe even Little Caesars. Uh, so it'll be throughout the whole city.
0: And fireworks in, yeah,
1: in yeah. Canada, right?
3: Yeah. The fireworks on the river. Yeah.
1: Sheila or Ron, uh, do you guys know the involvement that the Detroit Lines franchise will have in the draft?
3: I know we'll be picking. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, really at this point, it's kind of turned over to the league, and, and the Detroit Sports Organizing Committee, the Visitor Bureau, um, will be involved, but uh, we, we were really instrumental in getting it to this point, but uh, right now it becomes a league event.
0: This question is for Sheila. I would love to know what the selling points you kind of stressed with the other owners was for the city of Detroit, and also what you want to showcase about the organization and about Detroit, a city that sometimes gets looked over for some of these events. Right. Well, you know, our our proposal, which the um, Lions did have something to do with, but also the commission, and um, it was very strong. I mean, I think we really, you know, proved to the league that, you know, we would put on a great show and, you know, and how important it is to our city. It's hugely important and to our fans. And I think those were some of the big selling points. I uh,
4: kind of just touched on this, but I wonder if you could speak a little more to why this was, so important to you I mean, this you mentioned the finalist 2022 I know this has been something around especially you've been working for for a few years now so
3: why was there such a push to get this to Detroit? Oh thanks I think you know it's it's unlikely I will never say never that we'll have another chance for a Super Bowl but the draft has become maybe the next biggest event that the league puts on and so once the draft started to move around and was so successful in other markets it became something that we really focused on and um, so happy that it's finally happened. And uh, Hopefully, we'll put on a good enough show that maybe they will consider us for a Super Bowl again.
1: So, yeah, Ben, some understandable excitement there. What was your reaction when you saw this news coming down and you know how it's going to work?
2: That's just uh, the draft coming to Detroit. That's really just exciting for the city, you know? No, I mean, this is a city that's been really depraved of meaningful national sports events for, I think it was your tweet. I think it's been like a decade since there's been like a meaningful like national sport event here in Detroit, like of this magnitude. I mean, it's just really cool for the city. School for the franchise, and I mean, Rod Wood said it time and time again, they've been trying for this for like five or six years because they don't see the Super Bowl as like a realistic thing down the line. So, I mean, it's just a really, really cool new thing for the city and the franchise to really sink their teeth into. And I mean, somebody who covered the auto show in Detroit for a couple of years, it'll be nice to have an event like that in the city when it's like 10 degrees and stuff like that, when people can walk around, enjoy downtown and the riverfront like that. So just a really cool spotlight for the city and the franchise. I mean, that and the Hard Knocks combination, it's like, holy crap. Lions dominating some national news in March. That don't happen too often. There you
1: go. My big takeaway. I mean, I, I understand why fans are excited about Hard Knocks, and I think it's a great opportunity for the Lions. As I said, you know, just to sell what they're doing because what they're doing doesn't always like reach Pittsburgh and Jacksonville and L.A. because because they've been so bad, frankly, you know, and all people know in other parts of the country sometimes is the kneecap thing. And I still hear about it all the whole time, you know, then people get to know Dan Campbell or pay attention for five seconds. And it's like, wait a second, this guy is just a meathead. And I think that would be an excellent opportunity for them to connect with the country, their fan base. And I mean, I don't want to read too much into it, but I think them connecting to other people around the league will again help sell what they're doing here in Detroit and could be an opportunity for them to again to show players and and other folks around the league that what you know but what they're doing here what they're building the culture that's that's coming together and i think it could be a real you know marketing opportunity for for them in a lot of ways but for me ben the bigger deal was the draft and i you know as a detroiter I, I've, I moved to the city in 2015. there hasn't been an event in downtown of any kind that the draft could be and you look at what nashville's done and cleveland and some of these places you get hundreds of thousands like hundreds of thousands of people in the street you know in, in philly and I just imagine what that could be like in Detroit. And I don't know why you wouldn't have those kinds of numbers. you know I mean the, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't have to tell you like how much people love football. It, it courses through the bloodlines of people in the state. and it's remarkable to me because of how bad the lines have been but, that that still is the case. In a lot of cities, people get fucking passive when the team is terrible, and that doesn't happen in Detroit. People get fired up because they love the lines, they love to hate the Lions. they love football. <laughs> And to just imagine what to imagine what downtown's gonna look like, you know, to imagine what Campus Mauritius is gonna look like. Heart Plaza, a place that I, I hang out in quite a bit, like like seeing the floods of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people to celebrate this game and in some ways the Lions will be a nice opportunity for a you know, a town that's obviously starved for anything interesting to to, to root for uh, in in the city, you know.
2: Yeah, no, and I mean, and the thing people don't think about with Detroit with an event like that is just like the international connection to Windsor and Toronto and stuff like that. And just uh, to add a point to Hard Knocks, I mean, that was some exciting news, too, just because Dan Campbell and his staff, those are the type of people that are going to build young fans across the nation. You know, I mean, that's what this Hard Knocks thing exists for. I mean, the Lions don't have opportunities to really find fans outside of their own home base. And I mean, this is an opportunity. That staff is full of personalities. Dan Campbell is going to be the star. But guys like Deuce Daly, Aubrey Pleasant, Aaron Glenn, I mean, we're going to be writing about those guys quite a lot. I mean, those are those guys are going to be like, I, I'm just like, I, I like dreamed of headlines Monday night, like the weird ones. and just like, it's just a cool, uh, it's just a really cool opportunity. And I hate this word, but to expand their brand on a national stage. And this is a franchise that doesn't have a ton of opportunities to do that. So just exciting times, exciting times. Really is, you know, and you've been, uh, how many years have you covered the team now? Three,
1: four? This is going to be my fourth season in 2022 already. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I've covered the team nine years since 2013. And, you know, there was the playoff team in fourteen that, that 111 game. So that was pretty competitive. But like really since then, and even including the, those two playoff duds since I guess the one in 2016, I, I, I just don't remember any opportunity like this where the Lions were like, as I wrote in my story, it, it just felt like the Lions were at the center of the NFL for a day. Mm-hmm. And you know, we we got word that the, you know, we always suspected that hard knocks was a likelihood for Detroit. And after that had happened, I got I got word off the record that that they had landed the draft. And I'm just like I was thinking to myself about how to write that story. And it's like I just don't remember ever the Lions feeling like they were the team in the nfl it's like they just landed hard knocks and then oh man they also landed the draft something they've been pursuing for more than five years it's a big day you know and i mean obviously you want to win football games and championships uh and i see all that, all that <laughs> really matters but in the absence of that kind of stuff it was a good day for people who love the lions who love football and just haven't been rewarded for it and that's a that's a pretty cool thing moving along so we talked to to brad holmes on god it was uh tuesday i think I think it was Tuesday. I don't know. One of those days. And he said a lot. He talked about 20 minutes. It was a pretty good session. You know, you never expect a GM to say too much this time of the year with the draft only a month away. And even what they say, you have to be a little careful about. People are, I mean, the lines are as transparent as anyone. But even there, you have to just be mindful of, reveal their hand. And when you feel like they're revealing their hand, they're probably not revealing their hand. But I thought it was pretty interesting. Some of the stuff that he had to say about Jared Goff. People are, of course, trying to parse it out. Where the lines stand with the quarterback situation. So first, let's let's listen to some of the comments because I, I found it pretty fascinating uh, the way Brett Holmes was talking about this conversation.
4: Well, I mean, Jared played good football for us, you know, late in the year. Um, so we, we have a lot of we have a lot of optimism about Jared going forward. So we have a quarterback. Um, you know, I, if you're asking like, why do we not kind of hop into that? World, Um, but you know we're we're happy with what Jared's at right now, and you know uh, we're looking forward to having
3: him productive here for us. I guess I'm mostly asking, as it relates to the draft, like how how comfortable are you with him being your quarterback in 2023? I mean, what what do you think you have in him from a long-term
2: standpoint?
4: A starter that can be productive for us. I mean, that's you know that's I think that's that's what we have. Um, So, I mean, if you're whatever the case is, Jared's our quarterback. You know, and you know we're we're gonna make sure that he's put in the best position to, to succeed, and you know that's we'll we'll, we'll let the chips fall from there. How does that relate to the number two pick? I mean, is there a quarterback in the mix for you guys at number two? Is... you know, I, I would say this: a number two pick. You know, there's 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 multiple players and multiple positions that you know that if we turn the card in today, you know, we could turn that card in today and sleep well at night. I um, know, and, and that's a testament to everybody in our building, our personnel department, uh, we're, we're so far ahead in the process, our scouts, um, you know, and there, there's still some pro days left and all that. I don't think pro days define a player. Um, so we, we, we've done enough work where, you know, there's, there's multiple positions where we could turn it in and sleep good at night. quarterback specifically one of those? I said so there's multiple positions.
0: <laughs> is there an advantage, though, or I guess obviously there is an advantage to getting a young quarterback and having them learn under Goff? Is that something that would be interest, of interest to you guys to try to get somebody in for the future if if Jared doesn't stick and stay?
4: Sure, I I, I could see uh, I could see some advantage of you know if there's a young quarterback that can can, can learn under Jared, um, you know I don't I don't think Jared would would have any issues uh, taking on that role. He's had you know more younger guys with less experience behind him. And um, so, you know, he'd be very, very helpful with
1: that. So, yeah, I do feel like sometimes after nine years of doing this stuff, Ben, that I have a PhD in like reading the tea leaves. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, with, with the golf stuff, I, you know, I, I have my suspicions, but even my suspicions are just that, suspicions. I don't really, I don't think anyone really knows what they're going to do at quarterback, how they view the need, certainly in the, in the short term. I think we all are kind of agree. in the long term that there needs to be a better solution than Jared Goff, quarterback. But even they, as you heard there with Brad, you know, he's saying that, you know, we believe he can be the guy and we're trying to build around him. And those are things that you say about a guy, you know, that, that to me, that squares with everything that we've heard before on the record and more importantly to me off the record I mean the, they they really like Jared Goff and obviously he struggled in the first half of last year but he played very well down the stretch last year he had those 11 touchdowns two picks in the in the second half after the change of play caller you know, Josh Reynolds comes into the fold and now Reynolds is back for a full year you've got DJ Chark. I, I think the Lions are hopeful that Goff can be you know can be functional and they're going to give him that chance to be and that's that's what you would expect at this Juncture and certainly what you'd expect them to say. They can't really say anything otherwise. And yet I found it then very interesting that he still left the door open on the, on the draft end of things. And I don't want to make too much out of that either, because you hear versions of that a lot of times when it comes to these sorts of conversations, but we lived through the Matthew Stafford era in Detroit. We've heard what it's, what it, what it sounds like when a regime is committed to a quarterback. Yeah. And to me, when I listen to Brad Holmes talking about Cherry Goff, I don't hear that. So. I don't know, maybe, like, who knows? Nobody really knows, but if we're trying to parse words here and understand where the Lions stand with the quarterback, I do think that they believe they need an upgrade at that position, ultimately, to compete in the arms race with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and all these guys blowing up around the league. The Lions don't have a quarterback and go mono to mono with that. They're trying to build a, a team that can compete otherwise, you know, with the running game and everything, but in today's NFL, you need a quarterback, and I suspect the Lions don't believe they have a guy who can go toe-to-toe with the Joe Burrow or whatever. At the same time, there's no good solutions in this draft. There's definitely no good solutions right now in free agency. Maybe they could have made a play with a trade as other teams have done, but that, then you're talking about a team with limited resources and a pretty limited roster trading away its best resources. Like That doesn't really make a lot of sense either. So there's just not a lot of good solutions in the immediate. So I think they're just kind of resigned to riding it out for a year with Golf, seeing what happens with a better roster around him. And if ultimately he still looks like the guy we suspect he is, then they'll reevaluate next year. And I, th- I think that's where they are for better and worse.
2: Yeah, and just reading Holmes's comments from the past week on golf, I mean, if you told me to guess and like type out what he was gonna say I think this was pretty much like what I imagined he would say you know you know it's exactly the continuity we have coming back with receivers the staff the offensive line we're confident in what Jared can do we have confidence in him like you said it's just it's as positive it can be without a long-term commitment like it feels like yeah this year we're giving him all the best options to kind of keep that continuity from the last eight games rolling into this next season but like the door's open so it's just uh yeah, I'm with you. I I think they, they know they have a long-term need at the position, but it's kind of like, well, we got this guy now. The GM loves this guy. He's pounded the table for him before. He's pounded the table for him, for him again. He's going to get as many chances to make this work as possible. They're not going to force it. They're going to let something fall for him. They got two picks in next year's draft. I mean, people talk about making a trade for a, a guy this offseason. We'll get into that in a second, but it's just like, look at what those teams had to give up. You're You're deleting your Matthew Stafford return for that, and it's just like, This long-term approach, I mean, it's a combination of the draft and free agency, and it leads into the quarterback position. They're going to take a patient approach. This was always going to be a multi-year thing, and it's just, uh, yeah, those two first-round picks next year just make it easier to give Golf another year of confidence under center in 2022, especially after the way he finished with the continuity. Coming back, that word's giving me trouble today. I think I've said it like four different ways, but it's just uh, like, that's the fourth way I've said that, you know, he's saying everything we thought he was and we've said it time and time again, but love you something like Brad Holmes loves Jared Goff.
1: Yeah. And I think there's a, a lot of truth to that. And again, it's, he's your quarterback. So you, there's only certain things you can say. And even if they didn't believe in golf, they wouldn't say it and they should, you know, so that's what makes it hard to read all of this. And, and that's why you have to parse the the fine words. You have to, I, I don't know, we don't know anything, but like having done this for a little while, you get to, you know, I, I I mean, I covered Matthew Stafford every day of his career from 2013 to the very end in Detroit. And I've heard what it sounds like, where a team is committed to a quarterback and building around a quarterback. And so while they're saying some of the same things with Goff, certainly it sounds different. And that's, what's telling me that I, I think that they're resigned to the fact they probably don't have a good solution for 2022. Uh, but when they're talking about, yeah, we every, you know, position is open to us at the draft, you know, that, we're totally open to drafting a young quarterback to 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 learning behind Goff. some of the things that, that holmes said this week that is stuff that we never heard with matthew stafford that you would never hear with tom brady or at least certainly you know earlier point when he wasn't 45 or whatever in his career and and so on i don't think they're building this thing for 2024 around jared Goff. i think they you mentioned it before the patient approach and that we continue to see that we see that in free agency. There's a lot of guys that could have gotten this year in free agency to go out there and help them win an extra game or two. And what did they do? They brought back nine of the 14 guys. You know, nine of the 14 signings they've made are guys that are coming back from a three-win team because they're more focused on building culture and continuity. They're bringing back guys they know will support what they're trying to do as an organization and continue to build that out while continue to build through the draft. And we'll get to more of that in a moment. But That, to me, screams like they don't believe that they're in shape right now to compete this year, you know? Mm
4: -hmm. And so this is
1: all part of the long-term build, and that includes a quarterback. And that gives them an opportunity to to see golf for another year and then make a decision. But, like, everything they've done, to me, screams in a whisper that they have needs at at, at quarterbacks still. But, you know, we'll see how it shakes out. Who knows? Maybe they'll draft Malik Willis. I I don't think they will, (laughs) but... That, that we've had that conversation. So we can move on. You know, we just talked about the night of the 14 signings, you know, coming back from this year's team, which I think was a surprise, Ben. We asked Brad Holmes about it because there's been a lot of hand-wringing in the fan base, understandably so, about, hey, this team was really bad last year. We watched them play pretty well for a team that was outmatched. And then we're ready for some reinforcements to come in and hey, they prioritized bringing back some of the same guys in free agency for next season. So let's cut to Brett Holmes because I I, I liked what he said and I thought he obviously knows where the conversation is and what people are saying and thinking about his approach. So here is his defense of the free agent approach.
4: Bringing back a lot of our own guys. First of all, they wanted to come back. So um, I think that's a testament to our organization, everybody in our building, is that those guys wanted to come back. That That's the first thing. The other thing that I'll say about that is the mere fact that a lot of those players, um, and you could argue, you could bring stats, I'm sure some subjective views on it, but you could argue that they had some of the best years of their careers, you know, if not their best year of their careers with us last year. So if you talk about, you know, Charles Harris, you know, having a breakout year. Talk about you know Josh Reynolds coming in late, having a breakout year. You know, you talk about you know a Tracy Walker coming. So when you go through the process, and we stack those players versus the guys in the rest of the league, so when you weigh all that in, it's um, you know it it may look like from the outset that well you're not bringing in all this external help because it has to be external. But it's just that it's your own guys. But look, we do our we do our work. We do our due diligence. Those guys had great years for us, and they they played really good football. We know them, we deem that they're fits. I mean, a Khalif Raymond, you know. And a lot of these discussions, we had discussions, you know, late in the year about you know trying to retain those players. We don't know if we can or not, you know. But you know, um, we just trust our process. But so when when I when I hear that you know you wanted to. People wanted us to get more external help. It's just you know, always the grass is not always greener, and then you kind of know who the culture fits are and who, are, who aren't. Um, but we're really happy with the guys that we brought back. Again, it's a testament to our organization about the guys that wanted to come back and uh, and the production that they had last year. in our careers.
1: I'm sorry. Building on that, just just a little bit. Um, I think we all understand the value of continuity in football and, and chemistry yeah. and all that, but. Um, how do you answer the perception of bringing continuity back with a three win
4: football team? Yeah, no, I understand. And that's totally fair. And, you know, um, I've said it all along. We had a plane and we stuck to it. And, you know, you can call it that, you know, we kind of chose to take a little bit of a hard road last year. Um, You know, I, I talked to you guys at the end of the season about just, you know, we, we kind of, we kind of held back from just adding all these veteran free agents to kind of maybe help us to get another win or So, and we took the plan to develop. Well, I do think that that plan started to crystallize, you know, as the season progressed. And I think it ended in in a good note. So um, I I, I totally understand, you know, from, especially our fans perspective that you say, look, man, three, one team, why are you bringing back the same players? But, As much work as we put into, you know, uh, the production that those players had, you know, in in our system. And then having that continuity with our coaching staff coming back as well, um, you know, there's a lot of optimism for that. And again, you know, it's still being aggressive. It's just that, you know, it's not always saying that you're not being aggressive if you don't go the external route.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Right. I I think there's a lot to be said for the continuity that they're going for you know guys Tracy Walker and Charles Harris they know these guys those are the guys who got the the multi-year deals at some point you got to get better right and I guess that's the pros and cons that you're weighing and I and you know there's a lot of hand wringing again going on with them not really getting I think demonstrably better at any position in free agency except for receiver where they brought back Josh Reynolds was with the team for half the year last year and then obviously signing DJ Chark, which I think we're both a fan of. What did you, Ben, when you saw that story and you heard those quotes and everything, what was your reaction The you know, Brad's, you know, defensive of, of the approach? This is one of those
2: situations where I get both sides. I said it last week and the week before, I expected them to be more aggressive. I expected to see a little more of the player acquisition phase target outside of the building, but I mean, everything Holm's saying lines up with everything they've told us since they arrived. I mean, long-term patient approach, they clearly have a lot of faith in their coaching staff to develop these young guys that they like, and it's just like, they combat that he said about kind of well, we told our guys we're not going to add a veteran to get another win or two this season to let or whatever kind of like let that plan crystallize as the season goes on. That's wildly transparent, and I think that really needs <laughs> like that's amendable. That's great. That's fantastic stuff because this is like the most pressing topic for fans. I think like hey, what's going on here? Like this is they're running it back with that team I watched for two and a half, three and a half months last year. I don't know about that, but I... yeah, I think it shows the confidence in his approach to the offseason and talent evaluation and i think it shows an extreme confidence in their coaching staff to develop these young guys i mean they got a lot better at receiver i think maybe not a lot better but i think reynolds and shark really adds what they need to that offense to really help it move forward but uh, everywhere else it's like okay (laughs) <laughs> running it back and it's surprising i understand it I, I i think holmes is being very honest and transparent in his words about the process there and it's just uh reiterate the patience of this long-term rebuild i mean this was going to be a long-term deal and that's what's going on because i mean building that culture and bringing those guys back that bought in that came here on one year deals or they came back and bought in after having down years or living through the patricia years i mean that's important to build in a culture and that culture is important to have in place when you're adding talent through the draft and adding free agency in the coming year. So it's just uh, I get it. I get both sides of it, but I think Holmes did a really good job at explaining his tactic.
1: Yeah. I agree with you in, in most regards. I, you know, I, it does, the approach does, does square with what they've told us they were doing in an overarching kind of way. It didn't really square with what he had said at the combine, which he said he expected to open it up this year open up the spending a little bit Uh, he was asked directly about the one-year contract thing that was all they gave out to anyone last year except for jamal williams and you know he said we're at a different stage of the rebuild like this is the player acquisition phase which is something that he also said going back even further in in this off season uh we're gonna open up the spending we don't have to rely so much on the contracts and then we get into free agency (laughs) and every guy they brought in externally was a one-year contract and i mean dj Tark's a great a really nice signing where you know you get a a guy who's on on the prove it deal kind of like what charles harris was last year a lot of questions about the guy you know and now he's good now he's he's healthy and gets a chance to prove it and you're gonna get the best of dj Tark in detroit and i think that's a win for everyone but that's it you know and so that to me was the surprise, you know. When he said player acquisition phase, and he right. said more spending, he said you know more multiple year contracts, or at least not having to rely so much on one year contracts. Is exactly what he said. I guess that's what I was expecting based on those words. And then what they actually did, I thought squared more with what they've talked about in the long term, which is this is a slow build. We want to build the culture. We don't want to overextend. You know, if we're gonna win, if if the Lions aren't gonna win this year, if they're not gonna compete, then it makes sense not to sign say just as an example, Kirk, right? Who got, I don't know, a billion dollars or so from the Jaguars. And now like Christian Kirk's a good player and the and the Jaguars have them. If they're going to be a last place team or not competitive or whatever for another year, let's say until 2023, it makes sense to like, to be more careful with your money and your spending. It's what they were doing last year, right? You don't want to overextend. You want to leave yourself as financially flexible as possible for when you do believe you're ready to make that push. And then you can add those flourishes to the roster and you can plug those holes in the roster. You have the money to do it. And so, yeah, so I understand the approach. I was just maybe a little surprised because I was expecting a little bit more given on what he had been saying over the past couple of weeks. Yeah,
2: no. And I wonder I wonder if the quarterback timeline kind of changed. So like, obviously, you said the player acquisition phase after the season, that really stuck with us. But I wonder if just kind of like the development of the quarterback market, how golf ended the season, I wonder if that just kind of changed how they approached things. Maybe they went after a couple guys, kicked the tires on multi-year guys and just didn't like the price or the commitment level. I mean, that's, that's the last thought I have on it. I wonder if the, just that kind of timeline altered their thinking on that at all.
1: Yeah, that's a great point that I hadn't actually considered. One other point that I have considered is just where the market's going. And I think specifically about the receiver market. We just mentioned Christian Kirk, which just got more money than God. He's like <laughs> pretty good slot receiver. I mean, he's a good slot receiver. I'm not trying to sell him short. He's, yeah, he yeah, got, I don't even know what he got, like 80 million or something, 70 million, somewhere in that range, right? Yeah, like 72 so, to 82. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so some parts of me wonders if maybe they expected to be more competitive and it just didn't happen because of where the market went. And if that is what happened, then I totally understand why they didn't like join that yeah. fray because with where they are with the quarterback position, unless, I don't know, one falls off a tree someplace, like you don't have a Super Bowl quarterback in Detroit in 2022 anyway. You're like You're not competing for the Super Bowl this season. So if that's where the market went and you didn't want to overextend and you're circling 2023 and a red pen on your calendar in Ellen Park, then I, then I get it. I, and, I, and I guess maybe that's what we're looking at is, you know, you expect to see a vastly improved team this year with two first round picks and everything that's been going on and the improvement down the stretch last year, which I think they're really leaning into with a lot of their approach that, you know, they're banging on bringing back a guy like Tracy Walker and Charles Harris is going to help them recapture some of the momentum they built down the stretch last year. But you're just going forward to 2023 is the year where you'll actually make that that jump into competitiveness. And I think that's maybe what the timeline is that we're looking at right now. Okay, so two more topics for us. Let's go with let's go with Deshaun Watson. I was curious to talk to Sheila Ford Hamp. About Deshaun Watson and, you know, obviously these teams like Jimmy Haslam, the owner of the Browns is giving the Browns, you know, I don't know, okaying uh, a crazy contract, 230 guaranteed million dollars to Deshaun Watson in the trade there and Arthur Blank, the same deal in Atlanta. And I, I was curious to hear from Sheila Ford, Hamp. I guess she's going by Sheila Hamp now. That'll take some getting used to. Yeah. I was curious to talk to her to, to Sheila Hamp about her take on Deshaun Watson, you know, who obviously has faced 24 accusations of like sexual misconduct, 22 civil cases. Obviously the criminal cases have been dismissed, for, you know, at least for now, but obviously these accusations are out there, it's two dozen of them from, from different women, and I wanted to hear from from her. We did not because of the way things shook out. We were supposed to have an interview with her. Then they landed the draft and hard knocks and she did a press conference and she was asked exclusively about the draft. We didn't even get to hard knocks with Sheila. So definitely did not get to Deshaun Watson with Sheila, which for me was a disappointment. I really wanted to get her on the record and hear her take as a female owner who obviously, you know, the whole ownership group, the Fords going back for years now, have really prioritized a certain kind of player, avoiding red flags. Deshaun Watson has bigger red flags than any other, like, player on the trademark in forever you know so it didn't happen we did talk to rod wood the president of the lions who had some interesting things to say so let's let's listen in on what rod had to say about why the lions were never serious about deshaun watson
3: we have a quarterback you know so we, we were never in the game for that and that, i don't think it i don't want to get into the off the field stuff and what the browns talk about what they did and the other teams that pursued them but uh it just wasn't part of our our plans did you have any discussions on an organizational level just about that, though? I won't get into what we discussed internally, Dave, but, you know, we, we were never serious. Okay. What what guidelines are in place about, you know, adding players to your roster that have troubled paths, let's say? Well, certainly, you know, we're going to look into everything, and, and we're going to avoid certain types of behaviors, but I think everybody gets the chance to, you know, make the case on what really happened. Um, you know, we had, you know, the situation with Quintez Cephas when we drafted him, and, you know he went through the whole process was found not guilty you know proved his innocence um so we got comfortable with that that's a real situation yeah. a different situation might you know have a different result so you said certain things you wouldn't you know i won't get into that
1: so yeah ben i you know deshaun watson's been that debate has occurred for weeks now, so we don't have to belabor the point too much, but I guess I would be curious to hear where you lend on this whole conversation, you know, with the Lions take on it. And do you agree with the Lions decision not to get serious about Deshaun Watson?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, we just spent time talking about building a culture and building a culture you want to foster, like the development of young players and just kind of not, not just about on field culture, but like culture within a building. And I mean, you have to look at what Cleveland had to do to make this straight. I mean, they mortgaged their future. They kicked out their franchise quarterback. They guaranteed $230 million to a guy that didn't play last season because he's got 20-plus civil criminal accusations of sexual assault. And, I mean, the most disgusting aspect of that was the complete buy-in from ownership to (laughs) to make sure that he only loses about $55,000 per game next season when and if he's suspended. So I just mean – and then ownership wasn't even there at his introductory press conference. So I think that tells you all you need to know about how they feel about their deal outside looking in. I just,
1: it was never 80%. an option. You don't, you don't buy their excuse the, <laughs> that they were, quote unquote, out of the country on pre-planned yeah. business or whatever. Smart planning to get out of
2: the country for that one. I mean, because, I mean, their tremendous evaluation process didn't even include reaching out to one of his alleged victims. So I just mean, it's just a... What a
1: terrible... You you don't believe Cleveland's excuse that that, that they were told that they could interfere, quote-unquote, with the litigation? No. I'm, of course, playing devil's advocate. (laughs) The NFL itself has already reached out to many of the women. And what Roger Goodell said this week, that they're still reaching out to more. They're Like, not the NFL itself, but the investigators they've hired. So, of course, it was just a load of shit, you know, from from Cleveland. And I think you make all the right points on Deshaun Watson and ownership. (laughs) I I mean, they, they announced the trade on a Friday news dump. Then they wait an entire week to introduce him, which I've never seen before. Like when the Lions sign Chris Bord, like he's talking to us 10 minutes later, much <laughs> less like a franchise piece of the face of your franchise, like Deshaun Watson, like that stuff. Like the Lions straight up for, for Jerry Goff last year. We got him the next day. That That's how it always works. And the the Browns waited a full week to put Deshaun Watson out there in front of the cameras for another Friday news dump. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, Jimmy Haslam and D has oh, they're out of town on this particular... Like, the whole thing reeks of, like, damage control and not wanting to, like, be accountable for the, the, the decision they made. And the contract speaks for itself. And they've had their excuses, like, oh, well, we didn't structure the contract this way because of the thick like, accusations. But the reality is you've got a guy who now, like, the only real mechanism, unless there's, like new criminal litigation, the only real mechanism the NFL will have for penalizing him in any kind of way is a suspension, probably up to a year, probably not even that much, probably a handful of games this year, whatever happens in the NFL investigation. And the only mechanism the the NFL has for penalizing him is that suspension and the loss of income. And the Browns protected him by not only guaranteeing him a record $230 but structuring it in a way that a bunch of it, I think, I don't know, $45 million of it or whatever, came in a signing bonus. I don't quite recall the exact number, but basically it dropped his year one salary to $1 million. And the salary is the only money that will be like forfeited in the case of a suspension. So basically the Browns, whether it be directly or indirectly, helped a guy accused of like two dozen sex crimes, again, accused, and he's not even going to face a criminal trial, trial. I think that's important to throw out there, but like we all know how hard it is to prosecute he said, she said, and that's all this amounts to. So guilt or innocence, we have no idea. I have no idea whether he's guilty or innocent, but there are these accusations that exist. There, There's an open litigation and the Browns are helping him shield his money from potential penalty. And that to me is gross. So... Bringing this back to the Lions, who have a female owner and an ownership group at at large that has usually tried to avoid red flags like this. Like, of course, they didn't make a trade for him. Like, I don't know how she lived for it's going to take a million years to get used (laughs) to this. I can understand why she wouldn't be on board with pursuing him in a serious way. And that's irrespective of the fact the Lions are going through a culture reset. They just came off a toxic culture that befell the organization and tore it apart, which, by the way, featured more allegations of sexual improprieties against the head coach. So you're really going to turn around and like try to rip this thing apart in a very painful way. This, you know, the roster and everything, reset the culture and then ta-da, like <laughs> anchor the rebuild to a guy who's been accused two dozen times of sex crimes. It never made sense to me. I, I heard it sometimes from fans. I heard it even on sports radio. It, I It always confounded me because it didn't really match up with all the things they've been saying, which is we want to build this for the long haul. And the best way to do that is with resetting the culture and doing this as a slow burn. And that never lined up with Deshaun Watson. No. And that to me is, is, it, so it doesn't, no, they, they were never serious about it and it doesn't surprise me that they weren't.
2: No. Yeah. And it wasn't just Friday afternoon news dumps. It was Friday afternoon NCAA men's basketball and women's basketball tournament news dumps. Like they knew everything about what they did. They knew
1: what they were doing and that's just, yeah, never was real to me. Nope. So I put. Deshaun Watson, number four on our list, Ben, just so we could end on a better note. I like it. smart. Got <laughs> it out of the way. I think we have something to say on that. So just the last storyline I think we wanted to address from this very, very busy week in the Lions universe is, you know, Brad Holmes being the number two pick. And that's a question we hear every year, every single year. I mean, I, I don't remember a year where the GM's not been asked about trading out of the first round, going all the way back to Martin Mayo, my first years on the beat. They all get asked about it including brad holmes just last year with the number seven pick and of course he said he was taking calls and all those things and, and he said much of the same this year but he was also asked about the possibility of would he trade the number two pick even before he sees who goes number one which i thought was an interesting question that one came from jeremy Riceman, our friend over at pride of detroit and i thought that was a nice follow-up because holmes was first asked about the possibility of trading the number two pick and he said that he was already taking calls which we'll hear in a second but then jeremy Riceman followed up with you know would you do this trade before you see who goes number one, which I, I to me implies. Do you want to see who, whether Aiden Hutchinson goes number one or somebody else? So let's take a listen on what Brad Holmes said on this front.
4: Yeah, you know we've had dialogue with a couple of teams. Um, You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's been it's been a lot, but you know there has been a couple of teams that we, we've had some dialogue. Does does the lack of a maybe poor transition and the willingness to to trade up and pay
1: that premium phrase to give that guy. Was that lesson. maybe the the package the fix that maybe that that number two spot
2: commands maybe in a different year?
4: You know it, um again, there's thirty two different draft boards. And there's 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 you know, we have our value of guys, you know, including the quarterback position. Like that doesn't mean the A 31 team is, you know, have have the same exact value. So, you know, um it just depends on how out they value you know, you know, those quarterbacks, you know, in, in this year's class. Right. Um, but I, I I totally understand your question. It's 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 very valid, but it's just hard for you to say it because I don't know how those ain't very one teams are valuable in this bands.
1: If I go back to the trade topic for a second, um do you feel like you're in a position where you can trade before the draft or you kinda of wanna see how that works big fault or you trigger a deal with that?
4: Oh, I think de- definitely. We could, you know, fully trade off if, you know, if the other team is willing uh, before the draft, you know, and I'll say, even going back to last year, you know, when we're picking at seven, you know, because um, I know the questions asked about, you know, how many teams you had to dialogue with. Well, you know, I think this time last year, you know, it was about a couple of teams in terms of like dialogue that we had with teams, but it does increase as the time's gone. So I would say right now, still relatively early. Um, for for those discussions, but I would expect for it to heat up, you know, especially um, with the pick that we have this year, um, because they definitely heated up with even us at seven last year, so I expect that more down
1: Yeah, so like I said, Ben, I thought that was interesting because the Lions are saying they don't need to see whether Aiden Hutchinson or anyone else goes number one, and I, I mean, as I wrote my story, I mean, they might as well hang up for a sales sign on the two pick because of all the things that Brad said, I you know. I think he was anticipating these questions and he did his best to drum up league-wide interest and in making calls about that number two pick. So I guess to wrap this thing up, what are your thoughts, Ben, on you know, where the lines stand with the two pick in terms of a possible trade.
2: You know, there's uh there's no Trevor Lawrence type quarterback at the top of this draft. They don't know if the guy they love in Hutchinson is going to be there, so it's like this is the best, I mean, obviously as it was last year, as it was 2 years ago, it's the best case scenario, especially in a draft like this where you're talking about safeties offensive tackles and pass rushers at the top of the board i mean if you can get a team to fall in love with a quarterback that you might not be in love with that's a asset stocking type of opportunity right there i i I don't see it as a likely outcome this year just with the top of the Talent at the draft, but I mean, I mean, I I found Holmes's comments, and that is a great follow-up question. he Definitely, we could pull that trade off. You know, that's really interesting. He would talk about trading that pick before seeing who went off the board at one, especially Hutchinson flip-flopping in recent weeks between mocks. But just a best-case scenario to add some talent, stockpile some picks for this thing. If they're going to go patient and long-term, if somebody wants to offer up some picks for number two, and they're not completely sold on that guy being a cornerstone type of rebuild type of guy, then get get out of there. Get out of (laughs) there. Add some defensive talent. I mean, uh fascinating discussion but yeah it makes sense to me with safeties defensive ends and stuff like that at the top of the order and no standout quarterback or anything like that
1: yeah that you you're hitting at the you're hitting the the nail on the head I mean they love Aiden Hutchinson even Aiden Hutchinson's, I don't think like the top flight, elite kind of pass rusher you typically see at the top of the draft. A guy like a Bosa or a Chase Young or uh, whatever, you know. Nope. And if he's there, they would love to take him. He's a really good player. I think he's the best player in this draft, the best prospect in this draft, and he also happens to fit what Dan Campbell's all about. I think that would be a a, a seamless fit. But he, like I said, even he is not your 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 Bosa or your Chase Young, and 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 that's the top of this draft. As it relates to detroit and if he's gone which is now what many people expect to happen with the jaguars addressing their needs on the offensive line number one and turn their focus to to hutchinson the rest of the options are there's a lot of good options there are no great options you know like kyle hamilton really good player uh, really good prospect. Some people think he's the best defensive prospect in this draft, but he plays safety. Only one safety has ever gone in the number two. That was in 1991. That didn't really work out for Cleveland. Two got, Only two safeties have gone in the top five since. I, I mean, it's just not a position of that kind of value. And I know that safeties are growing in importance, and I agree with that, and the Lions need one. There's no doubt about that. But number two for a position that doesn't typically go even in the top five, you know, there's something to be said about Positional value, you know? So I I I don't know about that. There's other pass rushers like Kayvon Thibodeau, who I know you're you're keen on for the Lions, any high upside player, no doubt about it. Questions about his motor. There are questions about his fit with Dan Campbell. And I think those questions are pretty valid. I don't think the Lions are as high on him as other people are. There's Trayvon Walker, but is he an inside guy versus an outside guy? Malik Willis, like. Probably the highest upside quarterback in this draft, but he went to the Liberty. <laughs> you know, there's like a lot of projection going on, a ton of projection. Even the teams most keen on him are gonna be projecting what he could be in year two. I mean, there's just so much noise in that evaluation. So on and so on and so on and so on. To sum up this whole thing, I, I just feel like a trade would be the best possible outcome for a team like Detroit, which is still many pieces away. So it's not like that pick you get at number two is going to completely change the trajectory of your franchise. And I think the first seven to eight players in this draft are all very comparable. Like to me, no one separates in that group. So if you could drop down three, four, five, six spots, pick up more draft capital and still get a guy of similar talents to, you know, at the top of the draft, that would be a best possible outcome for Detroit. Whether they can do it in a year where, again, There's no like, like transcendent talent at the top, like the teams would usually give that kind of draft capital up for remains to be seen, but if they could do it, it would be in their best interest. And you already see, I think Brad Holmes, you know, greasing the wheels for that.
2: Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, they really need a Carolina or Pittsburgh type of team to fall in love with a Malik Willis. I mean, that's what needs to happen. Period. Yeah. Exactly, Ben. That well
1: said. Uh, that's probably the best chance for for that to happen. Okay, I gotta go catch a flight. I'm coming back to the. What, what, what's the weather situation? What do I have to expect? Beautiful, 57 and partly cloudy, baby. Awesome. I. It could be much worse. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. I'll see you next week.
2: This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of M Live's Detroit Lions beat. Thank you for listening to The Dungeon of Doom and M Live Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts ACAST, Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to The Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again.